Chapter thirty seven of That Affair Next Door. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you today by Don Larson in Minnesota. That Affair Next Door by Anna K. Green. Chapter thirty seven. Two weeks. But before she was well in, her countenance changed. No, said she, I want to think first. Give me time to think. I dare not say a word without thinking. Truth needs no consideration. If you wish to denounce this man, her look said she did, then now is the time. She gave him a sharp glance, the first she had bestowed upon him since leaving Miss Althorpe's. You are no doctor, she declared. Are you a police officer? I am a detective. Oh, and she hesitated for a moment, shrinking from him with very natural distrust and aversion. I have been in the toils then without knowing it. No wonder I am caught. But I am no criminal, sir, and if you are the one most in authority here, I beg the privilege of a few words with you before I am put into confinement. I will take you before the superintendent, said Mr. Grice. But do you wish to go alone? Shall not Mr. Van Burnham accompany you? Mr. Van Burnham? Is it not he you wish to denounce? I do not wish to denounce anyone today. What do you wish? asked Mr. Grice. Let me see the man who has power to hold me here or let me go, and I will tell him. Very well, said Mr. Grice, and led her into the presence of the superintendent. She was at this moment quite a different person from what she had been in the carriage. All that was girlish in her aspect or appealing in her bearing had faded away, evidently forever, and left in its place something at once so desperate and so deadly that she seemed not only a woman, but one of a very determined and dangerous nature. Her manner, however, was quiet, and it was only in her eye that one could see how near she was to frenzy. She spoke before the superintendent could address her. Sir, said she, I have been brought here on account of a fearful crime I was unhappy enough to witness. I myself am innocent of that crime, but, so far as I know, there is no other living person save the guilty man who committed it, who can tell you how or why or by whom it was done. One man has been arrested for it and another has not. If you will give me two weeks of complete freedom, I will point out to you which is the veritable man of blood, and may heaven have mercy on his soul. She is mad, signified the superintendent in by-play to Mr. Grice, but the latter shook his head. She was not mad, yet. I know, she continued, without a hint of timidity, which seemed natural to her under other circumstances, that this must seem a presumptuous request from one like me, but it is only by granting it that you will ever be able to lay your hands on the murderer of Mrs. Van Burnham. For I will never speak if I cannot speak in my own way and at my own time. The agonies I have suffered must have some compensation, otherwise I should die of horror and my grief. And how do you hope to gain compensation by this delay? expostulated the superintendent. Would you not meet with more satisfaction in denouncing him here and now, 
before he can pass another night in fancied security? But she only repeated, I have said two weeks, and two weeks I must have. Two weeks in which to come and go as I please. Two weeks, and no argument they could advance succeeded in eliciting from her any other response, or in altering in any way her air of quiet determination with its underlying suggestion of frenzy. Acknowledging their mutual defeat by a look, the superintendent and detective drew off to one side, and something like the following conversation took place between them. You think she's sane? I do. And will remain so two weeks? If humored. You are sure she is implicated in this crime? She was a witness to it and that she speaks the truth when she declares that she is the only person who can point out the criminal? Yes, that is, she is the only one who will do it. The attitude taken by the Van Burnhams, especially by Howard just now in the presence of this girl, shows how little we have to expect from them. Yet you think they know as much as she does about it? I do not know what to think. For once I am baffled, Superintendent. Every passion which this woman possesses was roused by her unexpected meeting with Howard Van Burnham, and yet their indifference when confronted, as well as her present action, seems to argue a lack of connection between them which overthrows at once the theory of his guilt. Was it the sight of Franklin, then, which really affected her, and was her apparent indifference at meeting him only an evidence of her self-control? It seems an impossible conclusion to draw, and indeed there are nothing but hitches and improbable features in this case. Nothing fits, nothing jibes. I get just so far in it and then I run up against a wall. Either there is a superhuman power of duplicity in the persons who contrived this murder, or we are on the wrong tack altogether. In other words, you have tried every means known to you, to get at the truth of this matter, and failed? I have, sir, sorry as I may be to acknowledge it. Then we must accept her terms. She can be shadowed? Every moment. Very well, then. Extreme cases must be met by extreme measures. We will let her have her swing and see what comes of it. Revenge is a great weapon in the hands of a determined woman and from her look I think she will make the most of it. And returning to where the young girl stood, the superintendent asked her whether she felt sure the murderer would not escape in the time that must elapse before his apprehension. Instantly her cheek, which had looked as if it could never show color again, flushed a deep and painful scarlet, and she cried vehemently, If any hint of what is here passing, should reach him i should be powerless to prevent his flight swear then that my very existence shall be kept a secret between you two or i will do nothing towards his apprehension no not even to save the innocent we will not swear but we will promise returned the superintendent and now when may we expect to hear from you again two weeks from to-night as the clock strikes eight be wherever I may chance to be at that hour, and see on whose arm I lay my hand. It will be that of the man who killed Mrs. Van Burnham. End of chapter 37 Chapter 38 A White Satin Gown
The events just related did not come to my knowledge for some days after they occurred, but I have recorded them at this time, that I might in some way prepare you for an interview which shortly after took place between myself and Mr. Grice. I had not seen him since our rather unsatisfactory parting in front of Miss Althorpe's house, and the suspense which I had endured in the interim made my greeting unnecessarily warm. But he took it all very naturally. "'You are glad to see me,' said he. "'Been wondering what has become of Miss Oliver?' "'Well, she is in good hands with Mrs. Desberger, "'in short, a woman whom I believe you know.' "'With Mrs. Desberger? I was surprised. "'Why, I have been looking every day in the papers "'for an account of her arrest.' "'No doubt,' he answered, "'but we police are slow. "'We are not ready to arrest her yet. "'Meanwhile, you can do us a favor. "'She wants to see you. "'Are you willing to visit her?' My answer contained but little of the curiosity and eagerness I really felt. I am always at your command. Do you wish me to go now? Miss Oliver is impatient, he admitted. Her fever is better, but she is in an excited condition of mind which makes her a little unreasonable. To be plain, she is not quite herself, and while we still hope something from her testimony, we are leaving her very much to her own devices and do not cross her in anything. You will therefore listen to what she says, and if possible, aid her in anything she might undertake, unless it points directly towards self-destruction. My opinion is that she will surprise you, but you are becoming accustomed to surprises, are you not? Thanks to you, I am. Very well, then. I have but one more suggestion to make. You are working for the police now, madam, and nothing that you see or learn in connection with this girl is to be kept back from us. Am I understood? Perfectly, but it is only proper for me to retort that I am not entirely pleased with the part you assign me. Could you not have left thus much to my good sense and not put it into so many words? Ah, madam, the case at present is too serious for risks of that kind. Mr. Van Burnham's reputation, to say nothing of his life, depends upon our knowledge of this girl's secret. Surely you can stretch a point in a matter of so much moment. I have already stretched several, and I can stretch one more, but I hope the girl won't look at me too often with those miserable, appealing eyes of hers. They make me feel like a traitor. You will not be troubled by any appeal in them. The appeal has vanished. Something harder and even more difficult to meet is to be found in them now. Wrath, purpose, and a desire for vengeance. She is not the same woman, I assure you. Well, I sighed, I am sorry. There is something about the girl that lays hold of me, and I hate to see such a change in her. Did she ask for me by name? I believe so. I cannot understand her wanting me, but I will go. And I won't leave her either till she shows me she is tired of me. I am as anxious to see the end of this matter as you are. Then, with some vague idea that I had earned a right to some show of confidence on his part, I added insinuatingly, I suppose you would feel the case settled when she almost fainted at the sight of the younger Mr. Van Burnham. 
the old ambiguous smile i remembered so well came to modify his brusque rejoinder if she had been a woman like you i should but she is a deep one miss butterworth too deep for the success of a little ruse like mine are you ready i was not but it did not take me long to be so and before an hour had elapsed i was seated in mrs desberger's parlor in ninth street miss oliver was in and ere long made her appearance she was dressed in street costume i was prepared for a change in her and yet the shock i felt when i first saw her face must have been apparent for she immediately remarked you find me quite well miss butterworth for this i am partially indebted to you you were very good to nurse me so carefully will you be still kinder and help me in a new matter which i feel quite incompetent to undertake alone her face was flushed her manner nervous but her eyes had an extraordinary look in them which affected me most painfully notwithstanding the additional effect it gave to her beauty certainly said i what can i do for you i wish to buy me a dress was her unexpected reply a handsome dress do you object to showing me the best shops i am a stranger in new york more astonished than i can express but carefully concealing it in remembrance of the caution received from mr gryce i replied that i would be only too happy to accompany her on such an errand upon which she lost her nervousness and prepared at once to go out with me i would have asked mrs desberger she observed while fitting on her gloves but her taste here she cast a significant look about the room is not quite enough for me i should think not i cried i shall be a trouble to you the girl went on with a gleam in her eye that spoke of the restless spirit within i have many things to buy and they must all be rich and handsome if you have money enough there will be no trouble about that oh i have money she spoke like a millionaire's daughter shall we go to arnold's as i always traded at arnold's i readily acquiesced and we left the house but not before she had tied a very thick veil over her face if we meet any one do not introduce me she begged i cannot talk to people you may rest easy i assured her at the corner she stopped is there any way of getting a carriage she asked do you want one yes i signalled the hack now for the dress she cried we rode at once to arnold's what kind of a dress do you want i inquired as we entered the store an evening one a white satin i think i could not help the exclamation which escaped me but I covered it up as quickly as possible by a hurried remark in favor of white, and we proceeded at once to the silk counter. I will trust it all to you, she whispered in an odd choked tone as the clerk approached us. Get what you would for your daughter. No, no, for Mr. Van Burnham's daughter, if he has one, and do not spare expense. I have five hundred dollars in my pocket. Mr. Van Burnham's daughter well well a tragedy of some kind was portending but i bought the dress now said she lace and whatever else i need to make it up suitably and i must have slippers and gloves you know what a young girl requires to make her look like a lady 
I want to look so well that the most critical eye will detect no fault in my appearance. It can be done, can it not, Miss Butterworth? My face and figure will not spoil the effect, will they? No, said I. You have a good face and a beautiful figure. You ought to look well. Are you going to a ball, my dear? I am going to a ball, she answered, but her tone was so strange the people passing us turned to look at her. Let us have everything sent to the carriage, said she, and went with me from counter to counter with her ready purse in her hand, but not once lifting her veil to look at what was offered us, saying over and over as I sought to consult her in regard to some article, By the richest, I leave it all to you. Had Mr. Grice not told me she must be humored, I could never have gone through this ordeal. To see a girl thus expend her hoarded savings on such frivolities was absolutely painful to me, and more than once I was tempted to decline any further participation in such extravagance. But a thought of my obligations to Mr. Grice restrained me, and I went on spending the poor girl's dollars with more pain to myself than if I had taken them out of my own pocket. Having purchased all the articles we thought necessary, we were turning towards the door when Miss Oliver whispered, Wait for me in the carriage for just a few minutes. I have one more thing to buy, and I must do it alone. But, I began, I will do it, and I will not be followed, she insisted in a shrill tone that made me jump and seeing no other way of preventing a scene, I let her leave me, though it cost me an anxious fifteen minutes. When she rejoined me, as she did at the expiration of that time, I eyed the bundle she held with decided curiosity, but I could make no guess at its contents. Now, she cried, as she reseated herself and closed the carriage door, where shall we find a dressmaker? able and willing to make up this satin in five days. I could not tell her, but after some little search, we succeeded in finding a woman who engaged to make an elegant costume in the time given her. The first measurements were taken, and we drove back to Ninth Street with a lasting memory in my mind of the cold and rigid form of Miss Oliver standing up in Madame's triangular parlor submitting to the mechanical touches of the modiste with an outward composure but with a brooding horror in her eyes that bespoke an inward torment End of chapter thirty eight